say good morning. I want to greet you in Christ's name. It's good to be here to worship together. I appreciate the prayers that were lifted on my behalf this morning. I need those. And that song that you let in with Gary is very, very appropriate to the message this morning. The title of this morning's message is Who God Is. And it's one from a series that I want to share on the great doctrines of the Bible. And I believe that we could look at the doctrine of God for many Sundays. I wonder you spend perhaps three or four Sundays looking at the doctrine of God. This would be the first one of those messages. Our God is an awesome God. He is an amazing God. I sense that He is uh, present. I know that He is. I claim that promise and that tells me that He is here with us. And as I share this morning, I am aware that He's listening. And God is here in this room and He's listening to what I'm saying. And I want what all I say to be honoring to Him and to be accurate as well as I know. How is God impacting you? Is God a big part of your life? What is He to you? Pastor Mike Bro tells the following story of when his daughter Jody answered God's call to go into missions work. During her junior year of high school, Jody struggled to find a faith of her own. She wanted to know in her heart that all of what she'd been taught to believe was true and that Jesus Christ was real. Honestly, she was headed down a dark road, but God pursued her down that road. She eventually found a faith of her own, and when she graduated from high school, she said, I don't think God wants me to go to college right now. I want to take a year to go to Haiti, and I want to serve people in a medical mission down there. I said, are you sure you want to do this? Jody, it's 3,000 miles away from home. It's AIDS-infested and the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And do you know it's controlled by the voodoo religion? I know all that, she said. But I feel like God wants me to go and help those people. I said, okay, if that's what you want to do, we'll make it happen. One of the hardest days of my life was putting my little girl on an airplane and watching her it lift off, not knowing whether I'd ever communicate with her again. One night I got an email from Jody. She wrote, Dad, tonight has been the most remarkable night of my life. I got called out to this hut to deliver a baby. Dad, I've only delivered one, and that was with somebody. I'd never done this by myself, but I was the only one around. They called me, and I, and I got to this hut, and there's this naked, screaming lady on the dirt floor. I got a flashlight, and I'm thinking, here I am, 18 years old, and I'm in a hut, in a third world country with a naked, screaming, pregnant lady. I have a flashlight and I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm, but I'm here. To make matters worse, this lady from the voodoo religion walked into the hut dressed in her red and blue voodoo garb and began to chant some voodoo incantation in Creole. She put some kind of oil on the lady's head and when she started to walk away from me and the woman, she stopped at the woman's belly, putting some kind of salve there and walked the opposite direction, all the while chanting this Creole spell. I didn't know what to do. She stood at the head of this woman and stared a hole through me. When I was getting ready to deliver this baby, I just looked back at her and I started singing. 
I knew she didn't understand English, but I just started singing. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Jody said that the voodoo lady became completely unglued. She grabbed all her stuff and ran out of the hut. Jody wrote, that night I knew that that baby was going to be born with the blessing of God and not the curse of Satan. Her dad speaking now. As I read Jody's email, my fatherly side thought, you get on a plane tomorrow. What are you doing in a hut with a voodoo woman in the first place? But then my heart beat so fast for her as her brother in Christ. I thought, way to go, Jody. Way to make a difference with your life. Way to stop floating around accident-like. Way to put your life in the hands of the destiny maker. Way to make a splash. Who knows who that little baby she delivered that night is going to grow up to touch and who that person is going to touch. All because of one courageous girl who said, Okay, God, I want to put my life in your hands. I want to make a difference. It might be one of the most important questions that each of us could ask in our lifetime. Who is God? Who is He to me personally? What does He mean to me? Do I know God? Do I have a relationship with the Almighty? When all is going well in life, it's easy to forget God. I feel that I'm doing a pretty good job of taking care of life on my own and that I'm in control. I have need of nothing. But as we know, in a heartbeat that can all change. That can change in a heartbeat. When things go drastically wrong and I realize I don't have it. Things are not in control in my life. I need somebody greater than myself. I need God. But who is God? Does anyone know? Can I even know? And I'm here to tell you this morning that we have a very limited capacity for knowing God. We have a very limited ability to know God. We can only know those things that He has chosen to reveal about Himself to us. We can only know those things. In many ways, He is unknowable to our finite minds and perspective. But God has made Himself known as He has chosen through His Son, Jesus, through the Word, through nature, and so forth. God is so important to us, and we must seek to know what we can about God. Those who do not know God, do not have a relationship with Him, will never be able to be with Him after this life is through. I want to use this morning for a text, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I invite you to Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. In our discussion about who God is, I want to go back into the Old Testament and read this passage. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. If you have that open, I invite you to stand as we read. As I read. Now this is the commandment the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, 
which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear." You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You may be seated. The question that I have to begin this morning is, can I know God? Can I know God? couple of principles there. First, that God is incomprehensible. This is one of God's attributes. If you look down through the lists of God's attributes, God is said to be incomprehensible. And that is the first task of theologians is to establish that God, this is one of his characteristics. This is one of his attributes. In my own experience, when I think about understanding God, I I like to think of a word picture of a uh, a picture of a little ant and a big creature of some type. I am the little ant, and God is a person. Let's say, just for perspective's sake, I'm this little ant, and I'm trying to understand what's going on, and I can't. It's very difficult for me to understand an awful lot about this huge creature. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is speaking for God. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So in a a narrow technical way, there is this incomprehensibility about God. And there will always be a lot of mystery surrounding God because we can't fully understand with our finite minds. The finite cannot grasp the infinite. To be finite means that we have all these limitations. We are limited in our ability to understand. We are limited in our ability, in in many of our abilities. And because God is infinite, it is so hard to understand Him. It would be like me walking up to the Niagara Falls with an eight-ounce cup and catching Niagara Falls with this eight-ounce cup. How much of God am I going to get? Eight ounces. That's my capability. I have very finite capabilities, and God is infinite, even more so than Niagara Falls. The second aspect about knowing God is that God is revealed. God has chosen to reveal Him 
self to us in a measure. This is his choosing. This is God's choosing. He chose to reveal himself. He chose to approach us, if you will, and to reveal something of himself to us. And that's the only way, reason we can know things about him is because God has chosen to reveal himself. And he does it through the word of God. That's why the Bible is so important to us because God chose to reveal himself through the word of God. He, he revealed himself through nature around us. These are things that help us to see. And in the scriptures, we, we, see, we see God described in human terms. Um, and the technical word for that is anthropomorphism. Describing God in human characteristics, with human characteristics. Because in the Bible, we read about the eyes of the Lord going to and fro upon the earth. God doesn't have eyes, okay? God is a spirit. But we read about him and we understand little things about him through this anthropomorphism that, that the scriptures engage in. God's hands, God's feet, God's eyes, God's whatever. And then God chooses in his word to reveal other aspects about himself. Psalm 50 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. What is this saying about God? Is God a cattleman? No, he's not. He's not a rancher necessarily. But it tells us that he is in fact an, a, a great God and he owns everything. He is, he is all-powerful. All the world is his. He speaks in a language that we can grasp because we know about cows and ranchers. God described, can I know God? Often we use terms to describe God as negatives. I don't know if this is a new thought to you or not. But the only way we can describe God is through negatives because we understand that part of him. In other words, I can say that God is infinite because I understand finite. In other words, I understand my limitations, so I say that God is unlimited. So we describe God in negatives. Uh, we describe God as immutable because we understand mutation to a degree. We understand change and that things are changing all around us. We had that in our Sunday school class this morning. We're getting old. Some of us seem like it. We're getting old and we understand mutation, but we don't understand immutable. So we describe God as immutable. He does not change. He never changes. Another way we describe God is through comparison. We say that God is omnipotent. We know what potent is. Potent is powerful. Potent is something that is, is very, very capable of accomplishing something. Something is potent. How do we describe God then? We describe God by saying he is omnipotent or omnipotent. He is all-powerful. So we describe God by these terms because we uh, compare him to something that we know. We say that God is omniscient because he knows everything. We know so little, but he is omniscient. Okay, I want to describe God this morning from my limited capacity. And I am going along with you, and we're going to look at some scriptures, and we're going to see what God has revealed about himself. I stand here freely telling you I don't understand God. But I, some of these things have been revealed about God, who God is. 
And the first one I want to talk about is that God is spirit. John 4, verse 23 and 24 says, But the hour is coming, this is Jesus speaking, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So that's the first uh, descriptive term that we want to share with you is that God is spirit. A human body does not limit God. That's what we're saying when we say God is spirit. He doesn't have a human body. Yes, there was the incarnation when Jesus took on humanity for a short period of time. And then he did have a body. But God does not have a body. He is a real being, but he doesn't have a physical body. He doesn't have hands or feet or eyes. He describes himself with those to help us understand. God is invisible. We cannot sense God with our eyes. If we see it, it's not God. God is invisible. Yeah, he created a pillar of fire back in the Old Testament to lead his people. This was to give them a visual aid, but it, that was not God. That was not actually God. Paul writing to Timothy says, For the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. John 1.18, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This was Jesus in his incarnation. I think maybe this is one of the reasons that God was so concerned with the Israelite people when he gave the Ten Commandments. He says, Thou shalt have no other God beside me. Thou shalt make no graven image. To make an image is to make God visible. God is not that. God is a spirit. God is not visible. When we're born again, we can relate to God on a spiritual level. I shared a message recently on being born again. We need to be born of the Spirit. Our spirits need to be made alive. We were dead in sin. Our spirits were dead. And now our spirit is made alive. And our spirit can connect with God because God is spirit. That is the way we make a connection with God. I read the story about a Dutch artist, Johan van der Dong. He decided that God needed a telephone number. So he got him one, a cell phone number to be exact, to show that God was available anywhere and any time. In earlier times, he would go to a church to say a prayer, Dong said in an interview. And now this is an opportunity to just make a phone call and say your prayer in a modern way. It seems a lot of people appreciate the opportunity that Dong has afforded them with his divine hotline. Within one week, over 1,000 people left God a message. On one hand, it's pretty thrilling to know that over 1,000 people want to connect to God. On the other hand, you have to wonder how people will feel once the connection is made. 
You see, when you call the number dong is set up for God, this is what you hear on the other side of the line. This is the voice of God. I'm not able to speak to you at the moment, but please leave a message. It doesn't exactly convey the idea of a God who is available anywhere in any time, does it? To make matters worse, Dong plans on keeping the line open for just six months. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. If you're sitting here in this room, and you have been born again, you have received spiritual life. Your spirit is alive, and your spirit is able to connect with God on a spiritual level. Before you were dead in sin, But now we are made alive in Christ and our spirit responds to God. Second aspect about God is that God is a person. God is a spirit and God is a person. It almost sounds sacrilegious to say that, but that's what God is. God is a person. He is not human, but he is a person. Actually, he is three persons, as we want to discuss in just a few moments. As a person, he has the characteristics of a person. First of all, he is self-aware. Exodus 3.13 says, And Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is your name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God is self-aware. Secondly, God is self-determined. God is free to do whatever He pleases. Nothing can stop God. God has self-determination. He is sovereign. He is governed by His nature and nothing around can change Him or what He purposes. A very central thing to understand about God. God is self-determined and nothing can stop what God purposes to do. God is self-determined. Thirdly, God is intelligent. Again, that sounds almost sacrilegious to say that, but He is intelligent. He has super intelligence. He is omniscient. He has all knowledge and all wisdom. These are God's characteristics. He is not some object out there that people have worshipped in the past. He is an intelligent being. Fourthly, He is emotive. He has emotions. God has emotions. The Bible tells us about God's emotions. Tells us about God's grief. Genesis 6.5 The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So God has the emotion, possesses the emotion of grief. God has the... The, the emotion of, of love and of compassion and of sorrow and of anger. These are all emotions that God has. So God is a person. And we want to dwell on that concept just a little bit more later. 
Thirdly, God is life. Life and God are in some ways synonymous. God is the owner of life. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. God is a living God. Life is his. He is the source of life. He gives life to the lifeless. He breathed life into the first people. He gives life and has the authority to take it. This is one of the things that govern our way of living is that we understand that God gives life and God has the authority to take it. We do not have that authority or that prerogative. And that's what's so wrong about abortion and about euthanasia and these other things where people take their own lives or someone takes their life. It's not theirs. It is God's. God gave life and God takes life. We gain eternal life in a relationship with the Son of God. Those of you who have believed in God, who have believed in Jesus, who have received Christ, have been granted eternal life. Isn't that amazing? I want to hear an amen. Amen. I have eternal life. You have eternal life. You have been given that. You have been given eternal life. And you're going to spend that with God. You have been given eternal life. That's amazing. Truly, truly, Jesus says, whoever believes has eternal life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that came down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Whoever feeds, I'm skipping a couple of verses, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the life that God gives us when we feed on him, when we receive life from him. So God is life. God is perfect. Who is God? God is perfect. God is perfect. There's nothing you can do to improve God. God cannot improve. That is why He is changeless. Okay? That's why He is immutable. That's why God never changes, because any change that would happen to God would be for the worse. Because God is already perfect. God is perfect. He doesn't change. He cannot, you cannot improve God. Psalmist says in one, Psalm 102, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. 
you will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. Did you know that the continents are moving on the Earth's surface? Some of you know that. The continent of Australia, for example, is moving. It moves very, very slowly, uh, about 70 millimeters every year toward the northeast. Australian GPS was last updated in 1994, and the entire country has moved a little more than five feet since then. I bet you didn't know that. So that kind of messes with the GPS a little bit, especially when they're using it in their farming practices and so on, because of the fact that it's moving. Everything changes on earth, even the continents, but God doesn't change. He does not change. Because he is consistent and unchanging, his response to man changes to maintain that perfect position. This is where a lot of controversy comes in in my understanding of God. The Bible talks about God changing his response because I repent, he changes toward me. That's because he isn't changing. That's because he hasn't moved. He responds to people as they respond to him. He, he is like that center light James talks about that, that as there is no shadow of turning with God. He is like that sun, if you will. And because the shadows move because I move, right? It's not because God has moved. And so it looks like things are moving, that God causes the shadows. No, it's not. It's me moving. And, my, and God responds to me because he wants a relationship with me. And he, rela he relates back to me in, in response to my responses. And, but God doesn't change. God doesn't move. He is unchanging. I want to tackle a very difficult part about God in the doctrine of God, and that's the Trinity. How many of you understand the Trinity? I see a raise of hands. I don't, I'll tell you. And I don't know that there's anybody here on earth can fully understand the Trinity. It's a very, very difficult concept. But there are some things that we can look at to help us understand. And I want to share those with you this morning in my study that I've gleaned in my study from various folks and from the Word. And please don't use some of these homely little illustrations to try to explain the Trinity of God, okay? Author Michael Reeves, author of the book Delighting in the Trinity, expresses our basic problem with the Trinity that the Trinity is seen not as a solution and a delight, but as an oddity and a problem. Reeves explains, in fact, some of the ways people talk about the Trinity only seems to reinforce the idea that it is an oddity. Think, for example, of all those desperate-sounding illustrations. The Trinity, some helpful soul explains, is a bit like an egg. Where there is the shell, the yolk, and the white, and yet it's all one egg. That's a terrible, terrible illustration. No, says another, the Trinity is more like a shamrock leaf. That's one leaf, but it's got three bits sticking out, just like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. It's a terrible illustration, and it's, it's, it's actually heretical. One wonders why the world laughs. For whether the Trinity is compared to shrubbery, streaky bacon, 
The three states of H2O are a three-headed giant. It begins to sound, well, bizarre, like some pointless and unsightly growth on our understanding of God. One that could surely be lopped off with no consequence other than a universal sigh of relief. The Trinity is very, very difficult to understand, but it's key characteristic about God. And we need to do our best to help, to try to understand it. First of all, some wrong concepts about the Trinity. Number one, the Trinity is equivalent to three gods. This is one of the wrong concepts that's out there, that there are, in fact, three gods. And the Jewish people will accuse us Christians of, of that. They say, well, you guys have three gods. We know, in fact, that there is only one God. Jehovah's Witnesses, others will say that. Well, you guys have, have three gods. It's known as tritheism, and it is wrong. We as Christians are not tritheists, we are monotheists. We believe in one God. The scripture I read this morning out of Deuteronomy, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God, there are not three gods. This is a wrong concept. Please, when you think of the Trinity, there are not three gods. Number two, the Trinity is three manifestations of God. Also heretical. The Trinity is not three manifestations of God. This is known as modalism. It is a doctrine that says that uh, that God has that the that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in fact three manifestations of God. That's not true. According to modalism, there is only one God who revealed Himself as the Father and the Creator in the Old Testament, and that same person also revealed Himself as the Redeemer. In this manifestation, he is called Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the third manifestation of the same God who relates to people today. This is the basic area of modalism, and it's not correct. The Trinity tells us that God is, in fact, three persons. It is not three manifestations of God. The third concept that's wrong is that the Father created the Son or the Holy Spirit. This is very, very blasphemous. This is the teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses that come knocking on your door, that God created the Son, that the Son is a created being. He is not a created being. He was with the Father from eternity. And He is God. Please do not allow this to go on for a minute. The, uh, the Holy Spirit and the, and the Son are not created beings. Number four, that Christ or the Holy Spirit was a power or attribute of God. This is a wrong concept also. It's called monarchianism, that Jesus was a mere man who was energized by God. So what is the best way to think about the Trinity? And I'm not sure if I can tell you, but I, I want to try to help. And I, I borrowed this picture. And it still is very, very, um, very elementary. And maybe God is laughing at us a little bit for using it. I hope he doesn't feel dishonored in any way. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. We need to understand that in the Trinity, God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. They are the three persons. 
One example of this from Scripture is when Jesus was baptized. We see him coming up out of the water. There's God the Son coming up out of the water. And then there's the voice of God the Father from heaven. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then there is the the Holy Spirit coming down in, in a manifestation of a dove or a picture of a dove coming down on Christ. Those of the Trinity are present there in, in this transaction. What this picture is trying to illustrate that I have in front of me here is the fact that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Jesus is God, but He is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, but He is not the Son or the Father. There are three different persons, not three different ways of looking at God. There are three persons, not three manifestations of God. Each person has a distinct center of consciousness. Part of being a person. God looks at the Son and He says, I am looking at you, two distinct persons. Another scripture that is very helpful in understanding this is the first few verses of John chapter 1, St. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God. The same was in the beginning with God. In the beginning was the Word. And in your, most of your Bibles, I hope that is capitalized. It is the Logos, the expression of God. And it's referring to Jesus. He is the expression of God. He is the literal expression of God. When He came to earth, He expressed God in ways that we could see and touch and feel. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus, God the Son, He was with God, and the term with there is a very intimate one where I'm standing right next to you side by side. He was with God. There were two distinct persons there, and He was with God. The Holy Spirit was also there. They were there from eternity in this relationship with each other. And then He goes on to saying, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in one sense, we need to understand that in fact, the three persons of the Godhead are in a personal relationship. They are persons. They are distinct persons. They are all three 100% God. Each each one of the Trinity is in fact 100% God. They are not parts of God. They are 100% God. In the Scriptures, each... Each of these three triune parts of God are referred to as God. Philippians 1-2 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's referring to the Father as God. In Titus 2-13, he refers to Jesus as God. Waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The great God is Jesus. And then in Acts 5, verse 3 and 4, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part for yourself, back for yourself, part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, 
Was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but God. The Holy Spirit and God are used interchangeably. There is only one God. Three distinct persons, but one God. And the official term, if you want to read it from a creed, is one in essence and three in person. You're thinking of the Trinity, one in essence and three in person. Each are God in essence. The Holy Spirit is deity. The Son is deity. The Father is deity. They are one in essence. They retain all of the characteristics of deity. They are one in essence, three in person. That's as far as I'm going to go. I don't, I don't know a whole lot more. I could talk about it in different ways, in different witnesses, but the Trinity is, 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 uh, is God. And we do so much wrong and we do so much heresy by somehow looking at the persons of the Trinity as being less, one or the other being less than the other. They are all 100% God. Okay, the practical part of the message this morning then. And I've got five, five minutes left, but I, I probably will take a few more than that. Why should we know God? Why should we know God? Number one, Scripture commands us to seek God. The command in Scripture is that we seek God, that we spend time seeking God. In your devotional time, you, you spend time seeking God, looking at God, meditating on God. This is a command of Scripture. We need to seek God. Seek the Lord while He may be found, Isaiah says. David had a heart after God, and that's how he charged his son Solomon to seek after God. The interesting thing is that when we are seeking after God, God is seeking us. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way, but I'm seeking after God, and God is seeking after me. God cares about me, and He is He is seeking after me when I am seeking after Him. Number two, knowing God better helps us to know ourselves. Knowing God better helps us to know ourselves. I don't know if you realize it, but you become more like the person that you spend time thinking about. The, the person that you, the hero in your life, you become more like them. Unconsciously, perhaps, begin, you become more like them. The per- person that you focus on, the person that's forefront in your, in your lives, The loftier our view of God, the more we are raised to higher things. The loftier our view of God, the more we admire Him, the more we see about Him, the more we become like Him. Societies, whole societies become like their gods. And I think that's one of the reasons uh, our culture here in America has, has done better than cultures in Africa. Because it was founded on on, on God, in a sense, in a way that God at least was honored. And God was a lofty God, not a, a wood piece of wood or stone. God was a God, a lofty God. And we become more like that. And fortunately, that's not necessarily the case anymore. Number three, eternal life is based on knowing God. 
We need to seek to know God because eternal life, our eternal life, comes from God. This is eternal life, Jesus praying to the Father. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Knowing God. Eternal life is based on knowing God. Number four, to be more like God. Why should we know God? To be more like God. To understand what he's like. To seek to grow in his likeness. Like the Apostle Paul, we stretch toward that goal of knowing God. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Finally, to know God is to love him. In any relationship, it's hard to really love unless you know someone. New relationships start. And as there is a desire to know, to get to know each other, the capacity for love increases. As we know more about God, brothers and sisters, as we, as we spend time contemplating the awesomeness of God, as we begin to know Him, we love Him more. We love Him more. We're capable of loving Him more. How can we know God by faith, we need to have faith that what God says about himself is true. It is impossible to please him without faith. Number two, by the word of God. Spending time in the word, we get to know God better. Because we believe every word that the Bible says about God, it is inspired, it is inerrant. And by desire. How can we know God? By desire. Isaiah writes, In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My heart, my soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. The desire to know God is a good thing. When that desire is gone, then we're in trouble. We're in serious, serious trouble. I want to close the message with an illustration that I read about the awesomeness of God and the fact that He loves me so much when I am so undesirable. God loved me so much and He came looking for me. Much as I seek after God and I, I need to, I need to seek after God. Understand that God is seeking after me. He desires me. I don't know why. Other than that he is loving. That God is his nature. This is a David Slagle sharing this illustration from Decatur, Georgia. Being from the South, I love ribs. I remember hearing about this particular restaurant that had amazing ribs. And a bunch of my friends and I drove 50 minutes to get there. The place was packed and the food was great. 
It was all-you-can-eat rib night, and rib bones were piling up as fast as the line to get in. Eating ribs is a messy business. Barbecue sauce gets on your face, fingers, and clothes. Dirty napkins pile up next to the half-eaten bowls of baked beans and coleslaw. When our crew had eaten all we could, we paid our tab and waddled out to the car. That's when I reached into my pocket for my keys and came up with nothing but lint. Starting to panic, I looked through the window at the ignition. I was hoping that I had locked my keys in the car because in the back of my mind, a a more disgusting possibility was taking shape. When I saw the ignition was empty, I knew exactly where my keys were, the keys to my car, my house, and my office. Only seconds earlier, those precious keys had slid right off my tray and followed a half-eaten corn cob and several buns to the bottom of a trash can. I had thrown away my keys on all-you-can-eat rib night. It was a long walk home, and my friends certainly weren't going to do my dirty work for me, so I dove in. I fished through bones, through beans, through barbecue, through corn, through cake, through coleslaw, and a host of saliva-soaked napkins. A shiny layer of trash can slime had coated my arms before I finally grasped hold of those precious keys. And I think about our dumpster diving God. I mean no disrespect by calling him that. On the contrary, I have a soaring adoration for the infinite God who left a pristine, sinless heaven to search through the filth and rubbish of this fallen world for something precious to him. Me. Amen. The great God of the universe, who we can't understand very well, has reached down and reached out to you and I. He's an amazing God. He's an awesome God. Thank you, God, for searching for me. You made the first move. I didn't even know I was lost when you came searching for me. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to respond, God, to you, to your love. I want to seek you, God. I want to think about you. I want to understand more about you. And I want to see your working in my life. Who is God to you? I trust that you will seek him and that you will meditate on him in the watches of the night and that God will become more clear and more precious to you. God bless you.